is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 572, recorded on Monday, March the 7th, 2022. I got distracted there as I was doing that, Jason, because I just as I was saying things, I got two uh, spam text messages that popped up on my screen. And From your wife? No, 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 not from my wife. <laughs> <laughs> the first one says, hi, Chris. This is Bitcoin. You can start earning money instantly. <laughs> you got a message from Bitcoin oh, itself? Apparently I did. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even know the blockchain was sentient. Well, it, it makes sense though. It just happened, I think, because I just That's got a message. Fancy. It really is. Well, anyways, this is- You think you would call or she, I don't know what the gender is of yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah. I can't tell from the message, but two of them came in, so I don't know. Uh. So that was exciting. Um, hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Jason, <laughs> what, are we, what hello. What are we doing? What's going on? Hi. Some, something's happening here. Something's yeah. happening. Uh, we are, of course, here to talk about the latest episode of The Walking Dead, which we will get to in a moment. But I have a couple of other things I want to do before we get into the recap. The first thing I want to do is thank Twitter user Andy DeBertz. Jason, because he tweeted at us this week to let us know that a UK TV magazine called TV and Satellite Week featured this very podcast in their most recent issue. What? I know, I know. It's it's apparently it was a list of TV podcasts that they're listening to, uh, oh. the editors or something like that. There was a picture and everything. A picture uh, of what? Our logo, our oh, podcast well, art. Nice. Yeah. Well, hello. Whoever's listening. It was right there. there. It was very cool. So I just wanted to say thanks to Andy and of course, thanks to TV and Satellite Week out of the UK for featuring us. Nice. And yeah, if anyone saw that and is tuning in, welcome. Uh, we have tons and tons of listeners in the UK, which is very, very cool. And maybe now we have a couple more. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, the other thing I want to do is just talk about a little bit of Walking Dead news that broke today in fact, that I thought we really needed to address. Now, I do have to say, though, that this is a little bit spoilery. So what I'm going to do is, in the notes for this episode, in the, in the episode description, I'll post the time code for when our actual recap starts. So if you don't want to hear this spoilery Walking Dead news, just check the episode description and skip ahead to that time, and you'll get right to the uh, recap but for the rest of you i've got some walking dead news here that was sent in by a few people but the first listener to send it to me was cat in nova scotia so spoiler i'm not i'm not gonna skip ahead normally i would yeah i would check the show notes and just kind of skip ahead but uh i'm having a, a hard time with uh you know reality marching on uh so I, i'm gonna stick around i think all right Appreciate that. Stick around. But for anyone else, spoiler warning officially happening right now. Uh, skip ahead if you don't want to hear this. It is some Walking Dead news. All right. For everyone that is still here, Cat in Nova Scotia wrote, Holy crap. Did you see that there is another Walking Dead spinoff on the horizon? And she goes on, but 
I'm going to just tell everyone that the uh, Walking Dead Twitter account today, and it's spread around very quickly, has announced that coming in 2023, there is going to be another uh, Walking Dead spinoff TV show. Mm -hmm. It is called Isle of the Dead, as in Island of the Dead, featuring two prominent characters. So, Jason, we already know that we have a Daryl and a Carol spinoff show happening. We do, yeah. Who do you think, from the main cast, I'll tell you that, is going to be on this Isle of the Dead show coming in 2023? Um, Aaron and Gabriel. No, although that would be that would make a good uh, team up because we saw an episode of them during the pandemic. Remember that uh, we I did. really like the Terminator. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Nope, it's going to be Maggie and Negan, <laughs> right there on the poster <laughs> that has been released. <laughs> but <sighs> yeah. Okay. So Kat's email went on to say, aside from the massive spoiler that both Negan and Maggie make it to the end. I kind of dig the idea of the dynamic duo in the big, quite rotten by now, I imagine, Apple. So the island that they're referring to in the title is the island of Manhattan. Well, you know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, uh, you know, what uh, what large enough island would be big enough to hold a TV series? Mm -hmm. And I'm going, Manhattan? Well, you would be right. <laughs> okay, so... that. 10 years after the apocalypse, they're going to go to Manhattan. That sounds expensive. Yeah, you know, it, it is. Manhattan's a very expensive place, yeah. No, but I, I, I mean, to produce like a television show uh, set in Manhattan uh, in, you know, 10 years after the apocalypse uh, sounds like an expensive set oh. to, uh, to, to spin up. That's going to be tough. Actually, that's a really good point. You're, you're probably right about that, you know, to act, to have... A very recognizable place, but you know, 10 Hawaii years into the apocalypse, yeah. Would work. You know, the island of Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Big okay. island. That would work. You know, well, what other big islands? We've got Australia. That's an island. I mean, Newfoundland. <laughs> Newfoundland, Labrador. And Labrador. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, PEI, you could go there. Pretty, that, pretty that small. Sounds, uh, <laughs> that sounds inexpensive to film on. Yeah, and I bet they'd love it. They would. I would love it. Anyways, listen, so... TVLine.com published an article on this already, and I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from it. Premiering in 2023, the new series will follow the unlikely pair into what the network calls a post-apocalyptic Manhattan long ago cut off from the mainland. The crumbling city, AMC adds, is filled with the dead and denizens who have made New York City their own world full of anarchy, danger, beauty, and terror. Walking Dead vet Eli... Journey has been tapped to executive produce the six-episode season one, along with Cohen and Morgan, with the whole show being overseen by Scott M. Gimple, of course, because he runs the whole right. universe. Yep. Journey has created something incredibly special, said Cohen, adding, I cannot wait for the fans to see what we have in store for Maggie and Negan. For his part, Morgan, who expressed to TV line his openness to the idea of a spinoff this past fall, exclaimed, Walkers in an urban setting has always been such a cool image, but Fifth Avenue, the Empire State Building, the Statue of Liberty, the greatest city in the world? The backdrop is amazing, he continued, but it's the story that Eli Journey cooked up that is even better. Buckle up, folks. Isle of the Dead is going to reinvent 
the Walking Dead universe. <laughs> so this this makes this is the most makes no sense thing I've ever heard in my entire life. This doesn't make any sense on so many levels. Maggie and Negan don't make any sense right. as as spin-off characters uh together. They hate each other. They're going to end up killing each other, but maybe that's that's the thing, right? That you know Sam and Diane from Cheers, same kind of thing. Will they won't they? Mm-hmm. Uh ultimately they won't. So that's one layer. Uh why in the fuck tarnations would anybody want to go to Manhattan 10 years after the apocalypse? There's a lot, there was a lot of people in Manhattan. Therefore, there's a lot of zombies in Manhattan. You got to think so. There is literally skyscrapers full of zombies. Like they're, they're full of them. They're just, and they're not going to stay there because they'll spill out one way or the other, right? Uh-huh. They got to come out. So why on earth would anybody want to go to Manhattan? Well, and yeah. why would you want to film in a post-apocalyptic Manhattan? That sounds like, uh, even if you don't film in Manhattan, whatever, film in Atlanta, whatever, it's got to be in an urban setting. There's got to be buildings, mm-hmm. right? Unless you film the whole fucking thing indoors, which is entirely possible if the whole thing is like, it's, it's Manhattan, but the whole thing's filmed in a goddamn subway station. Well, right. Yeah. So that might be the thing. It doesn't make any sense, sense from a, uh, a character point of view, from a story point of view, from a logistical filming point of view. It, this doesn't make any sense. You know, you make a lot of good points. Yet having said all that, I find myself a little more interested in this series than the Daryl and Carol series, to be quite honest. Even though we don't really know anything about it, we don't know much about this either, but as it stands right now, I am more into watching Maggie and Negan do stuff on the show than I am Daryl and Carol at this point. Manhattan, yes, there's all kinds of questions and problems and so on, but you can't deny that it's a pretty cool place. And I think JDM is right when he says, you know, walkers, zombies in an urban setting has been a pretty cool thing to do in the past. And I think that will work really well, but I don't know, like all of the, all, everything you said is, is true. And I think this is weird and I didn't see it coming at all, but I'm kind of interested in seeing what happens with this show. I'm well, it's not like I'm not going to watch it. First of all, (laughs) uh, second of all, uh, you know, it makes me wonder, uh, if they can't put a, believable CGI deer into The Walking Dead, mm. how are they going to deal with Times Square, right? Or yeah. how are they going to deal with the Empire State Building, the Statue of Liberty, Fifth Avenue, any of that Central Park, any of that iconic imagery, which you're going to need for a Manhattan-based television show, even if you film in Atlanta or wherever, uh, it's expensive. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of CGI you're going to have to do. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. We'll we'll wait and see. Like it's 2023. I don't know if that's early in the year, late in the year. Who knows? I would be uh, surprised if it's any time before the summer of that year. But we're gonna find out. Um, and the Walking Dead universe just keeps keeps on growing here, and you know, just getting bigger and bigger. The thing about this that pisses me off a little bit is what Cat said. Uh, you know, it it is kind of a huge. Spoiler, of course, that now we know Maggie and Negan survive to the end of this show and ride off to Manhattan somehow together. 
And I just wish AMC would stop doing this. I understand their need to announce things and promote things and stuff like that. But why do we, I just wish I didn't know this in a way, if you know what I mean, right? Like I know Carol and Daryl, Daryl are going to survive. Now I know me, Negan and Maggie are going to survive. Uh, who, who else? Like who else is left? The, the well, other characters are probably going to get killed off or just fade away and not get their own spinoff shows. All right, so that means Hilltop's done for, and so is Alexandria. We know that, right? We can't have a spinoff show if those, and uh, well, they can't go to Manhattan if Hilltop's still around, because Maggie won't leave Hilltop. It seems like she wouldn't leave Hilltop, yeah. Um, you're right. So it, it, it kind of infers a lot of different things about, about what's going to be left at the end of the main show. Now, yeah, I, I get it, but I wish they would stop doing this but is there any other way to like announce new shows without giving some details that you know spoil this show in a way i don't know there must be though well it's tough to do right in this kind of television show right because uh at the end of cheers uh, i'm gonna i I just watched a retrospective on cheers so i'm gonna bring bringing everything back to cheers today okay so at the end of cheers when they announced a frasier spinoff yeah they everybody didn't go up in arms and say oh fuck now i know frasier survives right because it's a little different. So other shows don't have this problem, right? I see your point. This, this show you expect, uh, you expect characters to be killed off because they live in a very dangerous world. Yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, it's the end of Sopranos. I would have, I would have watched a spinoff show with, uh, uh, I, I don't even know who, if anybody didn't, but at the end of that show, you're, you're, you're wondering who's going to survive and not a mm-hmm. lot of people did. Uh, right. so I won't spoil the end of that. Uh, if I may have done it already in a previous episode, but whatever. Uh, so yeah, the show has unique problems when they announce spinoff shows. So we know that they survive. Yeah, we do. I mean, I, I suppose there's, there could be some way to, to do this where it's a different time frame or something, but, I, but I really don't think so. Like Negan's been around the whole time. He's been in jail for most of it and Maggie disappeared for a while, but didn't go to Manhattan that we know of. So I just don't see another way. It's like they must survive to the end and move on. And I guess the, the, the details are why do they leave together? You know, what is it that brings them together and sends them there? I mean, I suppose that's what the surprise will be. And there's plenty there. There's plenty to latch onto, I think for that, but it's just now there's never any tension no matter what happens with Negan and Maggie on this show, they're always going to get out of it. And it does take the stakes away a little bit from this show, which is too bad. It does. And, you know, especially since they set up the stakes to be one of us is going to kill the other, so we better separate. Yeah, uh, that's right. So uh, that goes out the window. <laughs> yeah, we, they're not even going to kill each other anymore. It's not even, know? yeah, it's not even just a survival thing. It's a whole fucking plot line that gets, uh, you know, thrown out the window has no stakes that the whole plot line doesn't have any stakes anymore yeah but i guess now we can expect everyone else to be killed off uh call me gabriel aaron uh no aaron's gonna be fine he's got he's gonna be fine he's got a daughter he's not gonna die oh i don't know michonne michonne's gonna bug her off and do something else she's gonna take her kids with her so the kids have to survive right so uh they'll be fine i mean handsome alden was the caretaker for that baby or that kid now right who uh who was with um oh, the older couple last season oh, yeah. the season before right and he was just killed off 
We don't know who's taking care of that kid now. Hopefully somebody. Hopefully somebody, yeah. But whatever. Anyways, The Walking Dead, Isle of the Dead, starring Negan and Maggie, coming in 2023, which now means we've got, uh, you know, uh, Fear still going, Walking Dead wrapping up, um, Tales of the Walking Dead coming this summer, filming right now. Daryl and Carol sometime next year, and Maggie and Negan sometime next year. So do we have a name of the show, the Carol and Daryl Variety Hour? No, we don't even have that yet. (laughs) I'm going to call it that, you know? I mean, even when they give it a name, you're going to call it that. Yeah, I've assumed that it's the love boat, right? So they'll go on uh, on their various uh, adventures and meet up with uh, celebrities of the week, uh, joining the cast for a weekly, uh, uh, you know, romp. Right, through the apocalypse. Through the apocalypse, apocalypse. yeah. Yeah. All right, so that is the news of the week. Uh, You know, if you have any thoughts on this, uh, send it in as part of your feedback uh, to this episode, and we'll see what some of the listeners think about this. They they won't be able to film in the subways. I just thought of why. Uh, Manhattan is uh, surrounded by water. Uh, Without electricity, anything that's below street level is going to fill up with water. Like absolutely everything. There's, you know, major networks of pumps just to keep the water out of that fucking place. So, yeah, uh, yeah. you can't film in the subways. As in, like, it can't take place okay, in the subway. Sorry, it can't because take it place in the subways. Totally unrealistic, yeah. yeah. So they'll have to be in uh, buildings overlooking uh-huh. various cityscapes. Okay. Green screen Very good. type things. Well, we'll see how that goes. All right, let's get into the real reason we are here, and that is to recap The Walking Dead Season 11, Episode 11. Got a couple of title reads here, so here they come. Dad, what's that big red animal over there with the long nose? That's a rouge elephant, son. Oh, hang on, have I read that right? Hello to the Talking Dead family around the world at this worrying time. Um, But especially in solidarity with the people of Ukraine, Moi Lubu Mut Abey. We love you. Uh, This title read is is for you. Rosbini Element. Rogue Element. Thank you. Thank you, Ian in Countess Thorpe, UK, and Tallahassee's twin brother, who has uh, emailed in many times, but rarely calls. And, of course, mentions the absolute disastrous atrocities going on in the Ukraine right now with the ridiculous war that is happening over there. So, um, yeah, I, I want to acknowledge that. Yeah. But um, not sure sure what else to really say about that. If there's, if there's anything you're out there and you're thinking you can do to help, and I'm sure there are other ways, there are ways to do that, I recommend you do so it is uh, just a disaster of what's going on and yeah it's uh, it's horrifying and infuriating uh you know donate to the red cross yeah it's good advice very good advice but thank you for tallahassee for uh mentioning that and dedicating your title read to the people of the ukraine it is very very troubling so season 11 episode 11 rogue element and this one was directed by michael cudlitz jason if you didn't notice nice We begin with Eugene waking up in a bed from what looks like a rather restful slumber, and Stephanie is in the bed beside him, Jason. She She's reading an unfinished novel that he's been writing, and he expresses 
some sort of nervousness uh, because it's because of its unfinished state. I'm frustrated because uh, that that's very rude thing to do. Somebody has an unfinished novel, you just pick it up and start reading it and uh, without permission. That's a very personal thing. It's like uh, picking up somebody's phone and going through all of their uh, stuff on their phone. Your, your phone is a very personal thing. Having somebody else go through your phone is upsetting. I mean, <laughs> even is, if there's nothing on there. Is the phone the modern equivalent of like the purse? You just don't root through someone's purse? Uh, yes. Or backpack? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, you, you absolutely do not go through somebody else's uh, purse. If uh, if your mom says or your girlfriend says it's in my purse, you bring the purse to the person so that they can go through it. Ah, uh, yes. Right? Yes. You don't go through the purse. Okay. So the phone is a modern equivalent. A novel, an unfinished novel is a very personal thing, especially uh, if it's unfinished. You don't just pick it up and read it. That's a... That's that's a, a violation of uh, of trust in the highest order. But is there any indication here that he asked her to read it at some point, or he just wakes up and she's helped herself? She's helped herself. She All said, right. I couldn't sleep, and I started reading your novel. Right, okay. Well, he seems a little uneasy about it, for sure, and he expresses oh, that. Horrible, horrible thing to do. Horrible. Well, she gets up to get dressed for work, and he takes this opportunity to offer her a key to his place, which is, of course, an offer to move in with him. She takes the key, and they tell each other they love each other, which is nice. Aww, that's so, sweet. So it may be in a violation of his privacy, but he seems to have uh, gotten over it quick and wants her to move in anyways. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Now, cut to outside. Eugene is leaving. This is Stephanie's apartment, I should mention. Eugene is leaving, and he waves to her up on the balcony. And then he goes to chat with Princess about the whole situation, expressing to her that he's kind of nervous about it all. And Princess says, when a woman tells you that she loves you, you should believe her. Really? Well, that's what Princess says, and she's trying to give him a little extra confidence and... Have some, you know, just uh, confidence in himself, really, for what he's doing here. I believe Princess, but I don't know if I believe that. I, one thing that I heard about love years and years and decades ago now, I guess, uh, yeah. is that uh, if you think you're in love with someone, you're in love with them. That's, that's smart, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. you don't I have to know, you I just have to. I love you. <laughs> well, you know, get off the pot, dickhead. You love that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, these two seem to be in a good spot in their relationship. Uh, he, yeah, it's perfect. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Now, he has mentioned that he's supposed to meet her for ice cream. So we cut to later, Eugene sitting there with the two ice cream cones, right, that we saw in the trailer. He's waiting for Stephanie. There's happy music playing. There's people out and about in the town and so on. The scene swipes to later on. And suddenly it's sort of dark and gloomy and the ice cream is melted and he's still sitting there alone because she never showed up. Yeah, man. Did they ever friggin' add a filter to that lens? They sure did. They, yeah, they sure did. Now- The ice cream's all melted. He didn't do anything with it. He just sat there and let the ice cream melt all over the goddamn place. He, he did, which is totally a Eugene thing to do. Now, do you remember we talked about this in the, when we watched the trailer and we saw him sitting there with two empty ice cream cones? I did not go back to look at the trailer again, but I have a feeling that they may have added the melted ice cream to it because I think I would have noticed that in the trailer. And in the trailer, it really, really looked like two fresh, un 
ice creamed cones. But I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say. I yeah. mean, the shot might have been so quick and from farther away, whereas this one was kind of a panning, sweeping shot from tight end. Yeah. So it might have been in the editing uh, of the actual, you know, melted ice cream. It could be that they've added ice cream in post. It could be that they removed the ice cream for the trailer. Yeah. Right? Just I guess. to throw things off. Like, why is Eugene sitting there with two empty ice cream cones? Sure. It makes some sense that he's sitting there with two melted ice cream cones. Empty ice cream cones makes no sense at all. But now we have context and we know that he was waiting for her and she didn't show up. Oh, it depends on what you're doing, right? If you have two empty ice cream cones, uh, you know, you might be using them for uh, fake ears to uh, to entertain somebody. Like, stick them up to your head and you get these ice cream cones out as Ice cream ears. cone horns? <laughs> yeah, you, you wiggle them around like you're a, a happy cat or something. I think uh, that could go a long way to entertaining a five-year-old. I think it, I think you may have tried this before. I have not, but it, uh, it's a good idea. Totally doing it now. Well, all right. So uh, now later, of course, he looks all upset and, and sad about this later. Um, it's dark. He goes back to the apartment and he rings the bell, but she doesn't answer. And then this guy comes out passing Eugene, but not saying anything, just goes out. Eugene sneaks into the door, knocks on her apartment. There is no answer, of course, but the camera goes inside the apartment and we see Stephanie frantically packing a suitcase in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So she's packing up for some reason. After the opening credits, we are with Connie and Kelly chatting with their editor, I guess. And we find out that Connie wants to tell the story of Tyler Davis. That's the trooper that confronted Milton last week. She wants to really dig into it, claims that the governor is suppressing the truth. And the editor says, no, no, no. It was just a mental health issue with that guy. And uh, I'm having none of it. She tells Connie to just paraphrase what the governor's press release says. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is confirming exactly what you were saying last week, right? About how there is really very little open press here and yeah. she's just being told what to write. There is no fourth estate. The, uh, the, uh, the newspaper is a, uh, you know, uh, it's also the first estate. So it's, it's, it's has nothing to do with a free and open press. Yeah. And the propaganda machine. I believed you when, when you said that last week, but at the same time, obviously this completely confirms it. And, uh, it's like a, like you said, a propaganda machine. It's, it's, although it's closed off more than I, even I expected, you know, like paraphrase the press release is really, uh, you know, 0% the truth. <laughs> well, no, it's, it could be, it depends on what the, it's, it's 0% journalism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, and you know, that kind of shit happens today, right? There's, oh, yeah. uh, there's all kinds of news shows that get, uh, like they're all owned by a parent company and these news shows get copy that they're supposed to read word for word that make it sound like news when in fact it's some kind of uh, political or monetary agenda. Uh, and it's really kind of sad to hear and see because the news is supposed to be the news, not fucking ads for whatever. Sure. But, yeah. Uh, it absolutely happens today and it makes me kind of ill to think about it. Uh, but it does happen, and uh, here we are seeing it in the zombie apocalypse, too. You can't ever get away from uh, the fucking bullshit that we have in reality. You just got to hope that it's not all bullshit all the time, you know, and and there's some kernel of truthful information in there, in the real world, I mean, and I guess here, too. But, yeah, it's it hammers home the the idea that it's very, very important to be a critical thinker. and when you hear something, yeah, 
make up your own sort of decision, right? The only, the only real news I, 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 I feel is uh, free and open is uh, uh, fucking John Oliver. Uh, last week tonight when I watched that. I enjoy that show and it's usually, it's got, a, it's got their own agenda, but whatever. I still enjoy it. Uh, yeah, and I get I mean, a lot of news from there, right? Like I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know anything about, uh, uh, you know, the politics of stadium building if it wasn't for John Oliver. Stadium building? Oh yeah, there's so much money where uh, the cities put in so oh, much yeah. money to build stadiums uh, when they get fucking jack shit out of it. Uh, huh. and, and the, just the people that are, that own the teams that pay almost nothing for the stadiums themselves, uh, and just make so much money off of concessions and such. Oh yeah. It's, it's really quite criminal. Well, but we wouldn't have pro sports then, Jason, if there were no stadiums. Uh, yeah, we probably would. We just wouldn't have pro sports, pro sports as we have it today. I suppose yeah. not. All right. Well, that's a whole other thing. I'm going to go look into that, but I know there's a lot of money and, you know, naming rights for those kind of things and everything. So it's fucking crazy. Fucking crazy. All right. Back to the episode. Uh, we've got, uh, well, we have a quick scene with Eugene who he goes to see the current radio operator, which is what Stephanie's job is. Right. Apparently. And he, he inquires about her calling in sick, but that guy who's working there now is like, no, she just didn't show up. No notice. I was just told to come in. Fun. Yeah. Then we go back to Connie and Kelly. They're leaving the office. They're talking about what Tyler did and Connie saying, you know, I just want to know the truth. But Kelly claims that she just wants to know because they're keeping it a secret, which is kind of different. Uh, They try to enter a room, but there's a trooper there. He stops them. They try to ask what the charges are against Tyler, but then Mercer opens the door and kind of stares them down. He's, in, mm. he's inside the room. Sure is. And, you know, I, I watched this scene and I couldn't help but think that there was something more to this stare. If you really look at it, I think there's a very subtle tilt to Mercer's head. And then Connie kind of tilts her head in a curious way. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading into it, but I think maybe I'm reading into it because you and I believe that Mercer is part of the rebellion. So they're like secretly communicating here, but maybe there's nothing to it. I don't know, but I detected something between their look. Well, I detected something too, but it's because Mercer opened the door and only looked out the door with half his face. Right. I don't know if there was a tilt there, but it was just like, uh, he was looking out the door. It was only, uh, you know, just partially looking out the door. Yeah. Uh, and the only time I ever see that and uh, is, uh, when my son has done something, uh, and doesn't want me to know what has happened in that room. And he just kind of looks out and then he looks back <laughs> and closes the door. I'm like, okay, something's going on in there. <laughs> something's going on and I need to find out. Yeah. So that's, uh, I'm not sure if there was a, you know, uh, nonverbal communication other than, uh, Mercer opened the door, didn't say anything, gave a look halfway out the door and then closed the door, uh, just to increase the suspicion. Cause that's all that it would achieve. That's really, you're right. It, it does. But I, I think they shared an unspoken moment about something. And I think, you know, again, it could just be me reading into it, but I think it reinforces the whole idea that Mercer is, uh, not fully on board with what the Commonwealth is selling and is part of the Rebel Alliance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so we go to Rosita and another trooper. 
She's shown up at Stephanie's apartment to do a wellness check at uh, Eugene's request. Um, they enter the apartment and then cut to outside. She tells Eugene that Stephanie isn't there, and he says he wants to make a missing person statement, uh, which she agrees to. And then he imagines Stephanie up on the balcony again, but she fades out. Uh, you sure that wasn't a ghost? Uh, no, I don't think it was a ghost. I think it was just him remembering back to that nice moment. I don't know. I think it was the, uh, well, I know she's not dead from, you know, I watched the whole episode. Yeah. From like good. front to back. Great. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, so I know she's not dead, but, uh, at first there I'm thinking, did they just admit to ghosts being a thing? Well, don't forget way back in the day, Rick saw Lori in the prison, you know, and he talked to her on the phone and stuff like that. Uh, not ghosts, just... <sighs> people seeing things. Yeah, he was in he was in Crazy Town though. He sure. had yeah, he had gotten on the crazy highway and drove all the way to Crazy Town for that. So, it's hard to say what's going on here. Here is Eugene in Crazy Town or is he like uh he's gone to Crazy Village maybe? Uh you know, wild and wacky Crazy Village. I mean, I think he's on his way there, but I don't think he's quite there yet. Right now, he's just at the outskirts of Crazy Village and he's just remembering back going, "Boy, I wish I could Still see her on that balcony again. Oh, I see. He's in he's in a suburb known as uh, Upsetsville. Upsetsville, right. I like yeah, that. Okay. All right. The other thing I like about this scene, though, is Rosita in the white armor. I don't know, man. Uh, I think she looked really, really good in that armor. And it might be the... I did some thinking on this, on, on, on why I think she looks so great in this. I mean, obviously, she's a beautiful woman, but I think it's the long black hair contrasting with the white armor. For some reason, it kind of just works for me. I think she, I think she's the best looking stormtrooper we've seen on this show. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. Uh, you know, her buddy there, her partner was uh, carrying her helmet, so I'm not sure what that was all about. But like, fucking carry your own helmet, lady. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but good point. Carry your own damn helmet, or just wear it like you're supposed to be, probably. Yeah, and you probably, uh, you know, you should have your hair up if you're on duty as well, right? Because yeah, if you're, if you're, if you get into a scuffle with someone, uh, you know, a good place to get control of someone is to grab their hair. Yep. So having your long, luscious, lovely locks uh, flowing down all over the armor, uh, e- even though it looks uh, fucking fantastic, uh, you know, it's it's dangerous. It's it's a it's a bad bad thing. Yeah, no, I agree. We've we've been over, you know, having long hair in the zombie apocalypse. It's easy for an, a bad guy or a zombie to get a hold of that hair, and then you're done for, right? You should really just cut it, yeah. Because even if you do something like a man bun, uh, that's still a handle, right? You can, yeah. You could get a hold of a man bun and start uh, getting control of that, whatever that guy is, uh, you know, whoever that guy is with uh, with their man bun. Sure. Well. In any case, I'm glad they decided to let her keep it down because that black hair against that white armor, I don't know. I got a thing for contrast, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, know. I never noticed until you pointed it out. All right. Well, I'm glad I could point that out for you. Anyhow, uh, after the scene, uh, we move to the next scene, which is a zombie trudging along. A trooper stabs it in the head, and apparently this is a traveling road trip bit where Lance and Carol are riding a horse-drawn carriage on their way somewhere. And, you know, they chat about taking trips like this. They chat about how uh, Lance has worked his way into the position he's in now. And he says he knows how 
the city works. Uh, and he says, if you're in with the right people, the sky's the limit. And he says, there are two types of people. There are the mercenaries who are in it for the money. And then there are patriots, the true believers who want to do good and believe in the organization in their hearts. Do you, do you think they have any unsullied, uh, you know, uh, with the Commonwealth? Unsullied. Like some unsullied, like uh, not necessarily eunuchs per right. se, but uh, like slave warriors. Um. I mean, I don't think we've seen any, and I don't think they would have those. Because that would be a third type, right? I suppose people who just are told what to do. Yeah, so you know, not not necessarily people that are paid. Uh, mm -hmm. They're not people that are paid. They're not patriots. Uh, you know, that's what what what's left. The, the unsullied, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. Well, I don't think so, but uh, we know that it sounds like what he's saying really is that if you just play by the rules, which we've heard before, you know, that's what Tommy was saying, play by the rules, get in with the right people and you can pretty much have whatever you want in the Commonwealth. Yeah. And that's the, that's the same rules that I have for my son, you know, you know, play by the rules, do, uh, you know, what we ask and, uh, we're more likely to say yes to things. Right. Yeah, we're that, not. you know, that's the only, that's the only deal we'll make. It's just, uh, you know, if, if you make things difficult when you ask for something, you know, we, we might say no more often uh -huh. because of that. Whereas if you're, you know, everything's nice, everything's good. Uh, everybody's happy and calm and relaxed and, uh, you know, everything goes along smoothly. If you ask for something, we're more likely to say yes. Because we're all going to be in a better mood, you know, we'll if, you, be, yeah. if you eat your dinner, if you go to bed when you're supposed to, if you clean up your toys later when you want a popsicle, I mean, we might be inclined to give you one. Yeah. Right. Well, probably not because that, you know, dinner, uh, clean up your toys, go to bed on time. That's, that's right near bedtime and popsicles near bedtime is probably a bad idea. Well, I mean. But, you know, tomorrow, if you ask for a popsicle, I'm going to remember what happened the night before. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's how, that's how your family works and that's how the Commonwealth works. Yeah. And this kind of reasoning does not work on a five-year-old. Well, just so you know. Freaking five-year-olds, eh? <laughs> yeah. All right. So they're traveling. They arrive at this outpost type place, I guess. Turns out it's a poppy farm where they're making opium and Lance says it's for the hospital. Now, the leader of this place, a guy called Moto, approaches and he talks about somebody holding the harvest hostage because they want a raise. And it wasn't exactly clear to me what he was talking about here, but they're having some kind of labor issue. Um, and we'll get more into it in a second. Yeah, withholding some, uh, somebody's opium is a bad idea as a negotiating point. It's not going to make them more likely to negotiate. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you have a very good point there. Uh, you know, you've withheld my uh, my drugs from uh, from our society. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I will uh, I will hear what you have to say, and uh, you know, I'm likely to say yes to whatever your your requests are. <laughs> no, right. you've got my fucking drugs. I'm going to put a bullet through your skull, uh, and then we'll take it from there. And then we'll see how things are going. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, same as before. I mean, if everyone just got along, you'd be more likely to uh, be happy together. You got to go along to get along. There you go. We cut over to Connie and Kelly again. They are outside the city with a group of soldiers. They identify themselves as press and they talk about being sent on a ride along to write propaganda. And of course, Connie isn't so into this. Um, 
And then we see Mercer again, who I think goes to get in a truck. And the look on Connie's face to me looks like she's nervous looking at him. So it's kind of different than the interaction before, you know, before I thought there was a thing, there was an unspoken thing there. Now, obviously he's farther away, not really paying attention to her, but she has this weird nervous look on her face. So I'm not sure what they were trying to portray here, but we have these two on a ride along to, again, just write more propaganda for the Commonwealth. I think she's kind of scared of Mercer and she kind of likes it. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but, uh, you know, he's spoken for because Princess is all over that guy. Princess is, yeah. So I've got a thing for black and white. She's got a thing for orange, apparently. (laughs) Orange and black, yeah. Orange and And, black. And, you know, uh, I didn't notice Connie's hair, uh, 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 Rosita's hair in in the uniform, but uh, Mercer in his uniform, he, he looks good. Does right? he? Even though that, you don't that, like the uh, foam armor? I don't like the foam armor, but uh, he looks very menacing in that. We get a good shot of this a little bit later, but uh, of him and his armor uh, covered in gore. Uh, but uh, his uh, the armor piece around his butt yeah. is really nice. I don't know what it, <laughs> what it is. It's just uh, he looks good in the armor. I think there's some debate online over the butt piece of his armor there are people really? like yeah people like you who are kind of into it and then there's other people who think this is just the silliest thing i've ever seen well you need armor around your butt right you don't want to get shot in the ass well it's foam they're going to get shot but you don't want to get bit in the ass <laughs> i guess so yeah um listen people out there i want to know what our listeners generally think about the uh the mercer butt armor i don't know why i just do so send in thoughts on that when you, when you send feedback this week, if you, if you can, if you have an opinion, I, I want to do a little poll, see where we land on uh, Mercer butt armor. Well, here's the thing is all, everybody in the white armor is wearing some kind of uh, uh, something around their waist to hold equipment, right? So it covers their butt. Right. Whereas Mercer does not have anything covering that butt piece of armor. Yeah. Right. So it's very much a, uh, a thing that the costume designer has decided to not cover up. So uh, I'm pretty sure it's a thing. So they must think it looks great. And I'm sure, you know, I'm, I don't disagree. I just, I do sometimes think it looks a little weird. Other times, hey, look at that. I'm, I'm picking up what they're putting down. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, let's see, what's next? Princess comes to see Eugene at his apartment. Uh, she brings him a lasagna so that he'll let her in, but turns out it's an empty dish. And she says, if you bring food, people have to let you in. It's true. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, now, Eugene has built one of those string connection walls that he's created in an attempt to find Stephanie. And of course, it's one of those things you see in detective shows where they, uh-huh. somebody's put all the stuff on the wall and connected it all with thread in a meaningless way. He starts to explain to Princess what he's been doing, and we flash back to the previous night, or maybe the night before that, and Eugene is drunk, and he's peeing against a dumpster, and then he sees the guy that was leaving Stephanie's building when he went back there earlier, so he tries to talk to him, and the guy says he's just a plumber and doesn't know anything. Yeah. That's that. Eugene, of course, doesn't believe him. He calls it a flimsy alibi, so he follows him to a building, 
and watches the place for a while and he says he notices the same six people going in and out all the time including somebody that he thinks is the mastermind of whatever is going on and he decides that this is the rogue element inside the government that Stephanie has run afoul of. Mm. Yeah, so he's developing this whole thing in his mind uh, and, you know, it's all in an effort to figure out what happened to her. Uh, yeah, he's left the suburbs. Uh, he's on his way. He's on his way to town. He's on his way to town. Yeah, for now. Anyways, uh, now he also witnessed one of the people that he sees at this building moving all of Stephanie's stuff out of her apartment and he mentions that he found a work transfer request in her file. This seems like a really convenient thing that they don't really explain in any way. It's like, oh, I she has a file. I was able to access it, and there was a work transfer request. Yeah, okay, so he's a cop, and this is an expo exposition dump. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. He's bringing us up to speed. Now, Eugene thinks that Stephanie knew they were coming for her and the work transfer and apartment move is to cover up her disappearance. And so, of course, his whole point is to expose them before they find her is what he wants to do. I see. Yeah. All right. Back to the opium farm. Lance and Moto are fishing and chatting while Carol looks on some sort of behind them a little bit. Yeah, because watching people fish is the most entertaining thing in the world. Oh, my God. I don't mind doing the actual fishing, but standing there watching people do it, not exciting. It's like watching golf. I mean, I'm sure people love to watch golf, but uh, the only thing I can do when golf is on is have a nap. Mm -hmm. right? I like napping when golf is on. I do not like watching golf. But And there are whole shows about fishing, too. But I guess they cut them to be exciting when they reel in the big fish. They other the eight hours of sitting there for with nothing isn't what they show. <laughs> and yeah, and to be fair, I watch uh, uh, restoration YouTube videos where nobody talks. They mm -hmm. just uh, they take this old bread cutter from like the eighteen hundreds uh, and take it all apart and sandblast it and then repaint it and it looks friggin' fantastic. Yeah, and uh, I'll watch that uh, and you know any any time any day. And there's also a channel where this guy just uh, melts down various pieces of copper and uh, aluminum and turns them into ingots. So, man, I guess it's just what you're into. And some people are into watching fishing. I guess so. And other people are into white armor and black hair. I mean, to each their own, dude. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, pumpkin armor and butts. <laughs> That's right, too. <laughs> That's a sentence I never thought I'd hear anyone say. <laughs> Uh, anyways, they're fishing. Carol is watching. Lance says that he'll give them an incentive, basically produce more and he'll pay more. So they're talking about the labor issue that these guys, that this moto dude is having at the opium farm. Now, Carol's standing there. She looks back at a couple of other people that are waiting by the carriage, which I guess brought them to the river, maybe. And one of the women sort of ominously crosses her arms, which seems to mean something to Carol. So we do get an explanation ultimately for what's going on here. But at the time watching this, I sort of was like, what is happening here? What are these looks between Carol? What is she doing? Why does she, you know, have any connection to anything that's that's going on here? I didn't really get it at the time. So I felt like the scene was a little weird that way. She's uh, she's observulating. Well, yes. She's just, you know, watching things, picking up on things, uh, planning things, ciphering, uh, doing her gazindas. 
uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I guess so. Do you know what a Gazinda is? I don't. Uh, one Gazinda, two, two Gazinda, four, four Gazinda, eight. Uh-huh. Eight Gazinda, 16. Yeah, Gazinda. <laughs> yeah, you just got to do your Gazindas. Okay. That's good. I'm going to practice some Gazindas later. Yeah, you got to do them. Okay. Instead of that, which I'll do later, now we go back to some soldiers, a couple of Commonwealth soldiers running away from zombies in the forest. One of them seems to be injured, and so they get to, a, I guess, an abandoned vehicle. The injured one gets in. The other guy who was kind of helping him along has to fight off a zombie. He ends up on the ground, you know, in trouble, and Mercer shows up to save him. He hacks the zombie's head right in half, and he is just absolutely drenched in gore. So yeah, his, This is what I was alluding to. His pumpkin armor has turned into very, very bloody pumpkin armor. He's got a couple of axes too, which I really kind of like, right? He's got these two hand axes that yeah. he just, uh, uh, that he uses as, uh, melee weapons. And, uh, I really do enjoy a couple of hand axes because yeah. you can throw them too, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you can swing them and chop, you know, like chopping wood and stuff, but if you need to, you start hurling those fucking things. Uh, they're, they're good for a nice little ranged weapon. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, He's got cool axes, and the thing that Elijah was using, too, that Maggie used to stab uh, Carver in the chest back in Episode 9, it's not an axe exactly, but I like that thing, too. It's similar, you know? Yeah. If you remember it, but yeah, axes are good, and two are better than one. Uh, yeah. You know, why Why have one when you can have two? Exactly. Uh, okay, so we go back to the vehicles, you know, with these soldiers and uh, Mercer and everybody. And so what we were seeing was part of this ride along that they were on. So Mercer asks Connie if she saw what she needs to, and she says yes. And then he tells her to ask the questions they sent her to ask. But instead, of course, Connie asks about Tyler. She says it's been a month since he was put in hospital under armed guard, and she wants to know what he's being charged with. So it's been a month, Jason. That means that if we were 30 days into the Commonwealth, now we're roughly another 30 days later. Yeah, I guess so. So we're about two months in. Just trying to keep track of the timeline here. Um, Connie's also figured out that Max, the woman that Tyler took hostage at the Halloween ball, is Mercer's sister. Yeah, that was an interesting thing we just learned. It is. I didn't really see that connection coming. I don't know why I would, but it does feel interesting. Uh, is Mercer his first name or his last name? So is, is Max's name Max Mercer? I don't like, know. What, so what's going on here? I don't know. Max Mercer's a cool name, though. It's a really cool name. That's why I'm asking. So yeah. is Mercer's, maybe Mercer's first name is Mercer. So maybe it's uh, Max and Mercer Mercer. Max and Mercer Smith. <laughs> That's I like Ma Mario, Mario, Mario and his brother, Wario, Mario, so <laughs> Mario, Mario. Sure. Doug and his other brother, Doug. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. I don't know what their name, how the name works exactly, but they are siblings, which is cool. Uh, Connie presses him with more questions as she does. And Mercer, Mercer says that he's, uh, she's digging for answers that will never see the light of day. And then he walks away. And my favorite part of this scene was Kelly doing the American sign language symbol for asshole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which I have now learned. And uh, I think I may keep in my back pocket for when I might need it. 
Yeah, it was kind of funny. I was watching this episode this afternoon, and uh, I was just you know sitting in my office uh, watching this while uh, having a conversation with some work folks on another uh, chat line. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the and they did the the symbol for asshole, and I just I I threw up the the symbol for asshole, and that just as the at that very moment, my my wife walked into the uh, uh, walked into the into the into my office, and uh, she says, "Are you in a meeting?" I said no. I'm watching. I'm watching TV and having a chat, and uh, this means asshole. <laughs> so we all learned that today. It was awesome. Well, there you go. It's good to know. Uh, let's see. Eugene and Princess. They are waiting outside an apartment building, and he mentions that way back in the early days, he decided that if he survived the apocalypse, he'd become a science fiction author. Something he always wanted to do. And he tells her that Stephanie gave him the courage to just do it and stop waiting. So, of course, that's a reference back to the book she was reading. Uh, Does that change your opinion at all, Jason? Like she was sort of his encouragement or motivation to do it. She still shouldn't read it, though, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's his novel. Don't read the novel without his permission. Unless he's asked you to or has given you permission to, you don't don't read it. Or it's been published. Once it's been published, you know... Fucking read it because that's the point. Yeah, but uh, yeah, if it's a if it's a manuscript, you do not read a manuscript without permission. Yeah, unless you find it uh, in the luggage of a plane that has crashed. Uh, this is a lost reference of, of a novel they found called The Bad Twin. Uh huh. Okay, so fair. The manuscript. Yeah, you're allowed. To, you're allowed in that case. Yeah, in that case, yeah. If you're in a plane crash and you find a manuscript in the luggage, uh, you go ahead and read that. Yeah, fair enough. Because the author's probably dead, right? You're in a plane crash. Uh, and, you know, if somebody calls you up on it, hey, that's my my manuscript, you apologize, you hand them the manuscript, uh, and then maybe go catch them a fish. Oh, that'd be nice of you. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, they're sitting outside this building having this, this conversation, and they see the plumber uh, come out and go for a run. And by the way, his name is Roman Calhoun. So we can probably call him that from, from now on. But that's, that can't be right. That's his name, Roman Calhoun. That's, is he a singing cowboy or that's Rory Calhoun? I know, but it's pretty close to Rory Calhoun. Yeah. Well, yeah. Roman Calhoun. You know who Rory Calhoun is? Well, I do because of the Simpsons, right? Because of the Simpsons. Yeah. But he was a singing cowboy from like the 30s. Uh-huh. Uh, and I happened to, I was telling my wife this uh, just the other day, that I happened to know that uh, when Mr. Burns first said, he's standing up like a little Rory Calhoun. Yeah. Uh, I knew who Rory Calhoun was because uh, a drummer in a pipe band I was with named uh, Andrew, uh, he told me that- uh, all about Rory Calhoun one day. I don't know where he learned it, but I knew all about Rory Calhoun before Mr. Burns mentioned it. Uh, so that's been rattling around in my bed, my bread, my bed, my brain for the last 30 years or so. Right. So what did you, What? what's his name? His name is Roman Randy Calhoun. Calhoun. Roman, Roman Calhoun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a little too close. It's funny and, you bring that up because uh, uh, Calhoun, Rand, Randy, no, who is it? Now I can't Rory remember. Calhoun? Rory Calhoun uh, has come up in my house recently too because the dog, you know, he'll get up on his hind legs. Oh, he'll stand on, up like a little Rory Calhoun. That's right. He puts his front legs on the on a chair or the couch or something like that. And somebody said he's standing there like a little Rory Calhoun. So we had to look up who Rory Calhoun was. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Do you, so you know he's a singing cowboy. 
Well, I didn't look him up. My wife did, and I'm not sure the information was ever uh, communicated to me, but okay, it's come up. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're about the same age. So that, you know, the early Simpsons, the first, you know, five or six years of the Simpsons, uh, basically all of it, all the dialogue has been filed away in my head for reference. Sure, yeah. Uh, in, my, in, my, in my life. So that's one. So this guy's name is uh, Roman Calhoun, you said? Yes. <laughs> We've never seen him sit down. Like, he's always standing up, right? Uh, he's always standing up. Like a Rory Calhoun. There you go. It's weird. It is weird. They did it on purpose. Uh, they must have. How could they not? Yeah. Anyways, he goes out for his run. So Eugene and Princess break into his apartment. Um, well, as you do. As you do. She doesn't really want to, but he talks her into it. Yeah, because, you know, it, it's fairly easy to talk someone into a little light B&E. Right? A light B&E, sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Not heavy stuff. Like, you don't want to be picking locks or breaking doors or anything like that. But, you know, going through a window just to look around. Yeah. You can, you can usually talk a friend into that kind of thing. For sure, especially when you're teenagers. Which these two aren't. Anyways, uh, we go back to Lance and Carol. They're leaving the poppy farm or getting ready to leave. Carol says she spoke to a lieutenant and found out that Moto is pocketing the raise money that Lance has been giving them and beating his people to keep them quiet. And that's why they went on strike, which is a pretty good reason. Lance tells a couple of the soldiers to take Moto into custody and uh, Carol and the woman she saw crossing her arms earlier kind of share a nod. And Jason, in this scene, there is, in my opinion, one of the worst lines ever on The Walking Dead. Really? Because they're taking Moto away, and he yells out to Lance and calls him a mother pus bucket. And just, right. just saying it out loud makes me embarrassed for the writers. I'm sorry. It is a brutal line because it's just sticks out as writers, you know, going, we're not allowed to say fuck. So we can't say motherfucker. So we're going to use mother pus bucket. Like it's not even something anyone says in real life. And, and I hated it. I hated it. I know it's a stupid little thing, but I'm like, just took me out of it. Like, call him a piece of shit. Call him a son of a bitch. Call him something that human beings actually say. Well, yeah. I mean, I would even believe boogerface more than I would believe puss bucket. Like, yeah. you're a stupid boogerface, right? It's juvenile, uh -huh. but at least people say it. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, it's just so bad. Like, it's so dumb. Unless this is some sort of, like, local, regional thing that people say somewhere, you're a mother puss bucket. I don't know. And if that's the case... I apologize, but... Yeah, uh, that's fine, yeah. That's fine, yeah. It's but, like pack sack. Do you ever say pack sack? No, I don't know what that means. It's a backpack, but that's what we used to say all the time when I was in high school. You know, you get your pack sack. Oh, that's a weird thing. See, it's regional, <laughs> yeah, right? I know. It's, uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a regional thing, uh, but, you know, everybody has their, you know, regional things that uh, make no sense. Like, what the fuck is a pack sack? I know what a rucksack is, and uh -huh. I know what a backpack is, but... Pack sack? Yeah. What the hell? Uh, okay, fine. That's what I mean. If it's regional and someone says that somewhere, fine. But even then, I'm like, if it really is that specific to a location, like, don't put it in a show that, you know, people all over the world watch. Put something in there that's a little more uh, universal. So I didn't yeah. like it. It's either them trying to avoid the F word. Oh, yeah. Or don't forget, this was directed by Michael Cudlitz. And he... um. You know, he might have put, this is the kind of thing his character might have said because of his, uh, 
you know, quirks. And I wonder if he was just trying to insert one of those into the show somehow. And, and that bothers me too, because, you know, this guy isn't the same character. So no. why say it? You might even, I would have accepted calling him a dink, right? Well, like it's, yeah. at least it's funny, right? God, it's like you dink. You know, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's funny. Whereas uh, a pus bucket, like what is, what is a pus bucket? Like how do you, uh, is, is it a spe- special kind of bucket that is specifically designed and engineered to collect pus? Gross, uh, man. Well, it's absolutely gross, but do you need, like, is it specifically a bucket full of pus or is it a bucket that is, uh, you know, is still a pus bucket, even if it's not full of pus? Yeah. Right? Like, uh, what it, is it exactly? It's nothing. That's the problem. It's not a thing as far as I know. Because um, well, why would you collect pus in a bucket, right? Like. Yeah. <laughs> why, drain it away. Like, get rid of it. Don't collect it. Like, it's like having a jar of toenail clippings. Mm. Like, I'm sure people have that, but. You know, don't, don't keep that stuff. And just don't tell us about it. Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyways, it bothered me. I know I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here, but I just thought it was so dumb and I wish they hadn't included it. So anyways, the point is Moto's upset and he was uh, keeping the money and not paying his people and no wonder they went on strike. So back to Eugene and Princess. They're searching uh, Calhoun's apartment uh, she's keeping watch, but, and he's looking around, but he doesn't really find anything. Then it starts to rain, which means Calhoun is coming back from his run early. Uh, I guess Eugene knew he usually goes on 90 minute runs. So they thought they had lots of time, but he's coming back early cause it's raining. And Eugene has just then found a case of weapons under this guy's bed. So we so, cut. Yeah. Uh, Okay. If you go running for 90 minutes, like, first of all, uh, that's way too long to go running, right? I mean, good for you. You're in pretty solid uh, you know, shape if you run for 90 minutes. If you run for 90 minutes, you run while it's raining, right? There's, uh, if, if you're that kind of guy where you're running for 90 minutes at a time, you're not giving a shit if it's raining or not. You're probably You're probably yeah. going to be running. You're not going to go, oh, I don't feel like running anymore. You know, I've only run for 40 minutes and I'm just wet now and I want to go home. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, you know, if you, if you like me, if I were to run and I cannot run, but if I were to run, it'd be, and when I have the last time I ran, it was like for like seven minutes. I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> right? I don't give a shit if it's raining or if it's too hot. It's just like, no, 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 no. And no. I'd rather spend the whole time, I, 90 minutes on a bike, no problem. 90 mm-hmm. minutes on rollerblades, you know, I used to like that kind of thing. Uh, and I would go in the rain. Rollerblading in the rain, it's not fun. No, But I'd not still at all. be out there doing it. Okay. <laughs> riding your bike, see, riding your bike in the rain, there's two different kinds of things, right? Uh, if you're riding your bike and it starts raining, there's no problem at all. If you're walking down the stairs and it's raining, you do not get on your bike. No, you don't right? start. That's right. You don't start, right? Yeah. In running, I assume is the same thing. If you're out for a run and it starts to rain and you're the kind of guy that runs for 90 minutes, you're running for 90 minutes. Yeah. I think you might be right. You know, you're already out there doing it. So you, you finish off. Anyways, Rory Calhoun here is not that kind of guy, apparently, because he comes back and they're stuck in his apartment now. And he's still standing up. And he's still standing up. That's right. Uh... 
Now, we cut to him coming back into his apartment after they find this uh, case of weapons. And apparently, Eugene and Princess had enough time to get out and hide in a room across the hall. Like another apartment? Or maybe it was a staircase? I don't know. It's hard to say what's going on with the rooms in this town. Like, yeah. It, who knows what that was? It could have been a water closet. It could have been uh, a rec room. It could have <laughs> been a know. media room. Who knows? Uh, but uh, yeah, they no. got out somehow and they were over there. So he goes into his apartment. They come out and then they're going down the hall trying to escape. And suddenly around the corner comes an elderly woman who I guess has reported them to the authorities and with her as a couple of soldiers. It, it seems so weirdly random, you know, like guy goes for a run, break into his apartment. He comes back early. Oh, they escaped. Great. Okay. I can buy that. They had enough time. Then random lady we've never seen before reports them after the show giving us zero indication that she saw them enter or anything like that. It's just a weird random occurrence because they needed to be captured. Right. It's I mean, the, the fact that she saw them might have been edited out, right? Like that could have been a, sh it could have been shot earlier yeah. uh, to set that up, but they're like, yeah, we need, you know, the pacing is off. Uh, we got to cut this for time a little bit. What can we cut off? It's like, well, we can cut that off. And she reports them. Uh, so we don't set it up properly. You know, who cares? Well, apparently Chris cares. Well, apparently I care. Yes. I mean, setup and payoff is important. You know, it adds tension. It adds stakes. If all we needed was a shot of this old lady looking out her window when they're climbing on the dumpster to get into the guy's apartment and you would have been like, uh oh, what did she see? Is that going to come back to bite them in the ass? And then, yes, it does. Instead, it's like, oh, well, you know, I guess she saw them and we need them to be captured. So this is how we're going to do it. Yep. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think, like, should I worry about these sorts of things? But I do think storytelling is important. And if, if you're going to have plot points like this, you need to set them up. In I my, think you're... Uh, in my opinion. You're more nitpicky today than I am. That's weird, eh? I don't know what's going on here. I feel a little weird. It is a little strange. It's very, very strange. I don't know. I'll, we'll see how this goes the rest of the way. Uh, so where do we go? We cut over to Mercer. He's in a hospital. He goes to check on a room, but nobody's there. And then he confronts a nurse or maybe a doctor who, uh, is out at the desk and he wants to know where that patient is. She, uh, he pushes her by saying, not physically, but by, you know, he presses her, uh, saying that patients can't be moved without his authorization. And the nurse says, well, apparently he can be. <laughs> screw, yeah. screw you, Mercer. And then Mercer punches the wall in frustration. So he's gone to look for Tyler, who's been moved. He's gone. Yeah, and he puts a giant hole in the wall. I mean, if anyone like, could, it's Mercer. Well, Jesus Christ, you know, uh, you know, be angry, fine. But don't take it out on the building. Yeah, what'd the building ever do? <laughs> yeah, that's going to cost maintenance time. It is. And drywall? And it was a, they might it be... was a curved wall. Like, it was a oh. curved, drywalled wall. That's bad. You know how long it's going to take to fix that? They're going to have to replace that whole section of the wall. You can't just put a patch up, yeah. right? Wouldn't look Matching right. that curve would be very difficult to do. What a dick. Yeah, that was, uh, that was uncalled for. But then we get a shot of his butt, so it's fine. <laughs> so it's fine. Well, all right. So while they're fixing that wall, we go over to Eugene and Princess. They're now in a cell. 
very similar cell, if not exactly the same one to the last time we saw Eugene in captivity. He's apologizing to Princess for getting her involved in this and now in trouble. And then Lance comes in. He says that Roman Calhoun is exactly who he says he is. He's a plumber. And he completely corroborates Calhoun's story. They ask about the illegal weapons, but Lance says, no, he's a full citizen. He can own those weapons if he wants with a license. Fair enough. Yeah, and he's right. We all have go bags, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, just of course. case. No, sure. get the fuck out. I'm sure yeah. you do. Uh, Lance says that he told Calhoun the whole story that, you know, Eugene was emotionally distraught about Stephanie's disappearance, this and that, and he's agreed to not press any charges as long as Eugene leaves him alone. And then he makes Eugene sign a document that kind of says that he was emotionally distraught and this and that, um, just to have it officially on paper, I guess. Yeah, he's going to sign a document saying that he was emotionally distraught under duress. Right. Right, sign this so you can get out. Uh, you know, that, uh, there's all kinds of wrong there. Of course. I'll give you what you want. If you sign this paper that says all these things, whether they're true or not. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, we'll let you out. Just sign this confession. Well, and then we'll put it on file and we'll store it for later. Uh-huh. No pressure to you. And no, you don't have to worry about the fact that we're going to get you to sign this and then we're going to keep it, uh, in a locked filing cabinet. Uh, for not to be used later. Sure, it definitely won't come back to bite you in the ass later. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a good thing they got out, though, because now they're back at Eugene's place. Uh, him and Princess, I mean, they continue to talk about this, and he says the conspiracy goes deeper than he thought. So Princess tries to talk him out of it. Uh, she says, you know what, dude? Stephanie broke up with you. And... He he reminds her about the advice she gave him earlier in the episode where she says, when a woman says, I love you, you should believe her. Um, but now Princess says, when a woman quits her job and moves away without telling you, you should believe that too. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's an important distinction. It It is, yes. Uh, there you go. And she, she tells him about her father leaving and how she realized that she never really knew him. And he, she says it sucks, but it happens all the time. People leave. So Eugene counters with, you're wrong because I knew how it felt. Yeah. He has the personal experience with her and he just knows deep down that something is up here. And so, he has a wonderful uh, crocheted blanket in the background of this, uh, this scene mm-hmm. uh, that has like... Um, uh, sunflowers on it. Oh, nice! Uh, and, and it's absolutely lovely. And uh, I like it so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my wife to make me one because she loves to crochet. We have a number of crocheted blankets kicking around the house. Okay. Uh, here and there, and uh, I think that she would like to make this kind of thing. And uh, I'm gonna take a screenshot right now and send it to her. Well, I do. I do uh, entirely support the idea of her making one, but also Walking Dead shop. If you want to make some money, make these blankets and sell them for people. Yeah, not a bad idea. You know, they sell all kinds of stuff from the show. So there you go. Uh, What happens? So he just sort of looks at his string map. Princess leaves and he, he looks back at his string map on the wall. He pulls off the drawing of the building that he followed Calhoun to earlier and gets an idea. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. Uh, we go to Connie and Kelly back at their apartment, I guess. 
and the camera starts off focused on an edition of the Commonwealth Tribune, which is on their coffee table. And I made a whole bunch of notes about what was written down on this uh, newspaper. None of it, I think, of any importance at all, but I kind of had fun doing this. So the headline says, Task Force, uh, Task Force Holds the Line, Second Wave Expected. And there's a picture of Mercer, sort of a propaganda type picture of Mercer there. And the caption below the picture from what I could read is hometown hero Mercer seen in front of the Commonwealth program posters that have recently been posted around the town prior to the task force going on another exhibition to protect the people. And then it, I can't tell what comes after that. Exhibition? Exhibition? Uh, uh, going on another uh, exhibition to protect the people. I think that's what it says. Yeah. Expedition? Oh, maybe expedition. Yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, going well because going on an exhibition seems kind of weird, but going on an expedition. Yeah, fair, fair enough. I mean, it was kind of blurry. I did the best I could, but you're right. That makes more sense. Um, other interesting tidbits on here is that it's issue number five hundred twenty-three. So, how oh, often yeah. do you think the Tribune is published? Like, is it a uh, daily paper? No, it would be once a week. It would be a weekly thing. I think. Five hundred daily, five hundred and twenty-three weeks. So, not quite two years. That's no, fifty-two weeks a year. So it's ten. Oh, years. oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Ten years. Yeah. I was thinking days still. Uh, yeah. Wow. They've been publishing be right it either. since the beginning of the apocalypse. That can't be right either. Maybe it's bi-weekly then. You know, okay. five years. All right. Maybe. Anyways, this is or why. Or maybe I... they just started at not zero, right? Or not number one. Issue number one. <laughs> they started the issue number three hundred and forty-seven. Or something like that. Sure. And I wouldn't put that past them either. Issue 360. Like, why not? Yeah. Weird. And then it's priced 10 cents. So we're we're yeah. talking 1950s prices here, it seems like. We are. Well, you know, brother, can you spare a dime for the paper? Yeah. Okay. You know, extra, extra. Maybe they're uh, printing out extra editions every now and again. And read they all have about it. Calling out. Yeah, read all about it. Hmm. Anyways. That's what I found on the newspaper that I thought was interesting and probably meaningless, but hey, what are you going to do? So they're sitting there on their couch and Kelly uh, is saying, you know, I know you're just doing your job, but not every day has to be a fight. And um, yeah, they're just kind of talking about what they've been experiencing lately. Uh, and she also mentions that they moved there to the Commonwealth temporarily. So this is not the first time we've kind of had hints at this, right? Because Daryl and Judith, remember, we're talking about mm -hmm. leaving. So I'm starting to think that they agreed, all the people from Alexandria agreed to come to the Commonwealth temporarily while the town of Alexandria and maybe Hilltop are being repaired. And then their intention is to move back. But yeah, or not. I mean, uh, you can decide to stay or, or whatever, but... While it's being repaired, wouldn't you want to help out? Like, why would you move away? It's like, uh, okay, we'll just leave everything to Aaron. You know, Aaron will do it. Yeah, Aaron and Maggie he's, will take care of it. No problem. He's probably got a uh, a hammer attachment for his hand. Oh my God, that for be his arm, amazing. you know? <laughs> yeah, that's so great. His army knives come to, you know, you know, I need to attach the saw or the hammer or the crowbar mm -hmm. or, you know, there's probably all kinds of attachments you God, how, he has. How great it would a nail gun be? I don't know about that. 
Ah, oh, come on. If you could power it well, somehow, it'd be cool. Well, you'd need a you'd need an air compressor on your back. Well, yes, but you'd also, uh, you know, an air compressor without electricity is very difficult to fill up. You'd need one of those uh, those pumps for pumping up an air mattress. Remember you, they used to have those yep. uh, back in the 70s, like a dome that you'd step on for uh, 47 years to get the, enough air in the air mattress to float around in the pool? <laughs> yeah, they still have those and it still takes forever. Yeah, well, that's what you would need, right? So he'd have uh, maybe he had an air compressor on his back and a nail gun attached to his arm and a set of bellows between his knees so he could just stand there every now and again and squeeze his knees together <laughs> to fill up his air tank so that he could use the nail gun. Yeah, but then I he's dead. At that point, a hammer would probably be better. Oh, you're probably right. All right, fair enough. Uh, anyway, suddenly a lamp near their front door starts flashing. And a paper is slipped under the door. They go to get it. They open it. Nobody's outside. And the paper has a list of names. The last one on the list being Tyler Davis, the trooper mm. that was arrested and now, now has gone missing. So since I studied the newspapers so intently, Jason, I also studied the list of names very intently. And nothing really jumped out at me. But there were a couple of names that I thought were kind of interesting. One is Dan McDermott. And that's only interesting because it's similar to Josh McDermott, who plays Eugene. It was uh, the guy who told me about uh, Rory Calhoun. His name was Andrew McDermott. Whoa, that's even crazier. That was a real guy. He lives in Australia now. Oh, cool. Last I heard, anyway. But uh, yeah, we got uh, we got a, a name on here called Jeff French. Oh, f- no, Freelich. Jeff Freelich. Okay, that's a, that's a that's a bad name. It's not a great name, but there's a I'm- name. There's a good name on there. And it's Tommy Turvey. That's a cool name. Tommy Turvey's a really good one. It's good, yeah. I also no- noticed Casey Barkhurst, and that's sort of mm. similar to my name. So I thought, that's hey, that's a- kind of fun. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of them, I don't think, mean anything to me. So I don't know. Just a well, list of they names. Used a, a, you know, they used a name generator, obviously, because uh, you, can, you can go online and say, generate 50 names for me, and they just fucking do it. I use it for dummy data all the time. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, for putting in, cause I'm, I'm tired of using Bill Bixby every, every, uh, on every project. Cause <laughs> right. I have to explain who Bill Bixby is. Well, yeah. You know, you know who Bill Bixby is? I think so. He, he played, uh, David Banner, not Bruce Banner, David Banner in the Hulk TV show. Right. That's the right. The actor's name was Bill Bixby. And Lou Frigno played the Hulk. Lou Frigno pa- played the Hulk. Right. Okay. Why and was they, it David why, Banner in the show? I have no idea why they changed the name. But it was David Banner. Okay. Well, whatever. Anyways, uh, any any other, no other names on there jumped out at you? Uh, Willie Westone. Oh, that's a pretty good name. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I guess they used a name generator and it generated 50 or 100 names. And then poor some poor schmuck had to sit down and write it all out because this was all written by hand. It's not like it was printed or, any, or on a printer or anything. It was all written by hand in a felt tip pen. That's eh, somebody's job. It's fine. It wouldn't take that long. No, but. Still, yeah, yeah. The, you know the attention to detail, right? This is this is a hero prop. This is a prop that gets friggin' main focus yeah. on a shot in a television show. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I were the prop person that did that, I'd be proud. I'm like, that's my goddamn handwriting right there. There you go. Well, congratulations, prop handwriter person. Yeah. Well done. Uh, so we go now to the plumbing building that Eugene staked out earlier, and this was his big idea. He's decided to go here and find out what's going on. Turns out that he has broken into the place. 
one of the women that he saw entering before kind of passes through as he hides in the shadows. He follows her to the back where there's a staircase. And as he's approaching, he takes out a spray bottle full of something that he's going to use as a weapon. Um, the moving guy that he saw moving the stuff out of Stephanie's apartment confronts him and Eugene sprays him in the face with this stuff. And then Stephanie appears out of nowhere and kicks Eugene in the stomach, knocking the wind out of him. Did he think he was going to be attacking like a bunch of cats? Uh, like, maybe. What was with the spray bottle? Because they don't work on anybody, anything but cats, right? Well, it depends what's in it. Like if you spray someone in the eyes with vinegar, that probably doesn't feel very good. And, and, no, you know, and that's what you do to cats too. If they get really ornery well, water, not vinegar, right? I know. But if you're, if it's a feral cat and, uh, you're trying to deal with somebody that a cat that gets a little bit ornery when you, uh, uh, yeah, I know, you know, with water that doesn't work, you, you know, put mix it a little bit of vinegar in there. It'll, uh, uh, it'll convince them otherwise. What if Eugene filled this thing with pee? Sprays a guy in the face with urine. I mean, that's not very pleasant. It's not going to hurt anybody. No, it's just going to annoy them afterwards. It's like, fuck, is that pee? I know, but like, it's going to take them off their guard pretty quick and like recoil, which gives you enough time to either escape or kick them in the stomach. If you're in the middle of attacking somebody and you get sprayed with pee, you're not going to know it's pee for a few minutes. Like you're <laughs> yeah, going to be, okay, maybe. <laughs> you know, it's got to hurt in order for it to register as something that's going to be of concern when you're in the middle of an attack. I suppose. So what do you think he had in that spray bottle then? I don't know. That's what I'm wondering. Like, was he expecting to fight cats? Was like, he what, expecting? What, listen, something like ammonia, like an ammonia cleaner, which is the worst stuff in the world. I hate it. But spray that in someone's eyes and they're not going to be very happy. Yeah, it could be uh, some maybe uh, skunk spray or fart spray because they have uh, <laughs> fart spray that you can buy. Yeah, okay. But I don't know if he would have come across fart spray, although he could maybe make his own. Yeah, I know. He, he He's a science fiction writer. He can figure out how to make fart spray. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's a scientist. He already knows. Yeah. Uh, anyways, he sprays this dude. Stephanie kicks him in the stomach and he goes down. So then Lance and Rory Calhoun come down the stairs and then everybody but Lance goes back upstairs. So Eugene gets up. He confronts Lance about covering up Stephanie's disappearance he says that he should have known all along because it's the most obvious outcome. He, he has realized there never was any Stephanie and he accuses Lance of using her to manipulate him into telling him everything about Alexandria. Eugene kind of goes back and relates everything that's happened, you know, exasperated that he fell for it all. And he says he's going to expose Lance for what and who he is. Which is what? I don't know, but that's, but that's what Lance starts talking about. He says, okay, but what am I exactly? The villain, the hero, the whatever, you know? So even Lance doesn't know exactly. Yeah. But he also admits to it all saying that he had to do all these things in order to get Eugene's people here. Uh, he says that most of them were too stupid to see a good thing when it landed in their laps. And Lance says they have everything here. You know, all they could ask for and all they wanted was for them to be productive members of society for as long as they choose to stay. And he kind of, you know, emphasized the word choose, which is just reinforcing the idea that they're not there against their will. They can come and go whenever they want. Yeah. You know, make good choices. I, I have that uh, that same argument with uh, with my five-year-old all the time. 
uh, you know, uh, we can get ready for bed and you can choose to brush your teeth and to change into your pajamas and, uh, you know, have a story. Uh, but really there's no real choice, right? No, of course not. <laughs> but, but you know, you give them, uh, you empower them to, to make their choices. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have to make good choices because uh, choosing the other thing is, uh, is would be a bad choice. It would be a bad choice. That's right. Well, he uh, Lance now reminds Eugene that he signed a paper stating that he was suffering from paranoia. Uh, so Lance says he's sorry that your heart got broken, but it's all worked out in everybody's favor. And then he tells him that Stephanie's real name is actually Shira, and that she hates Iron Maiden but genuinely did enjoy his book. Oh, that's good. Which I guess is supposed to make him feel better. I don't know. Then Lance turns around and walks back upstairs, leaving Eugene alone. So what the hell is going on exactly here, Jason? Because Lance doesn't really say anything. He doesn't tell Eugene what their deal is, what this group of people are doing, if what their motives are, what their goals are. He just kind of says, I had to do this to because your idiot people didn't really realize what they had here and i'm sorry your heart was broken but i had to manipulate manipulate you to find out where your settlement was and and get your people here but there's got to be more to it than that does there i mean it it just it seems like the 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 secret police are doing secret police stuff in order to achieve the secret police goals which we don't know what they are and like, why is it so important to the Commonwealth to bring the Alexandria people here? Like, there's very few of them, comparatively speaking, right? Yeah, you can't leave uh, small societies out there doing nothing, uh, you know, uncontrolled. Mm-hmm. Le- leaving groups of people out of your control is a bad idea, according to the Commonwealth. Even if it's like 25 people compared to your thousands? Yeah. Okay. I well, guess it know, doesn't take many to start something it, it adds up after a while you know there's, there's a statement i think i've said this before in the, in the u.s government that uh you know a few billion here a few billion there uh, eventually it starts to add up yeah that's right i guess so <laughs> 25 here 25 there but i mean is lance involved in uh, this rebellion this dissent group of dissent that's happening in in uh in the commonwealth is he part of that or is this something totally different I think this is totally different. I think this is part of the, uh, this, the, some kind of, uh, secret police. Okay. So we got a lot of different things going on in the Commonwealth here, kind of behind closed doors. Yep. Which I guess is true of any society, you know, any large enough society, there are going to be very different groups of people with different goals and motivations, but, uh, people who are choosing to rebel against the leaders, that's very clear. It's pretty black and white of like what, they want to do this is some sort of mysterious group that we don't know what's going on if they're unrelated and it it piques my interest i'm curious about it mm-hmm. you know so that's that eugene uh goes outside he is burning his missing persons posters that he made uh or flyers i guess with stephanie's face on it who's actually shira he's still upset about all this of course he also burns his book manuscript so what a tragedy, man. He finds someone who encourages him to write this book. It all falls apart. And he's like, this book is worthless. I'm burning it. Well, he's got an eidetic memory. So it's not like he lost the book. 
Uh, he just burned the copy so that nobody else could read it. I know, but still, it's probably the only one. He he'll, He's never going to yeah. be able to write it again. No, you wouldn't be able to write it again. All right, Eugene will be, would be able to write it again. Fair enough. Maybe he will. As he's sitting there, I wouldn't be able to write it again. I just don't want. I don't want to single you out. I'm, I'm I'm included in that too. All right, fair enough. So listen, as he's sitting there, Max, who is Milton's assistant, remember Governor Milton's assistant, appears behind him. She says that she needs to talk to him. He doesn't turn around, but then she says, "Well, she calls him Taterbug, which was his name on the radio." when he was talking to an unknown person on the radio all that time ago, this gets him to turn around and look at her. And of course, this is the revealing moment that it was actually her on the radio and not fake Stephanie all along. Yep. And that's where the episode ends. So, uh, we've, we have Eugene with all the information now. Well, not all the information, but the truth has been revealed to him and, we now know that Max is part, well, it's confirmed because we already sort of knew, but it's confirmed that she's not really happy there and part of this rebellion that's going on. Uh, and we know that Lance is involved in some secret society doing weird stuff. And uh, and Max is Mercer's sister. And Max is Mercer's sister. That's right. And Mercer's his last name, probably. So it's Max Mercer. Okay, let's go with that for now. And if they're siblings and she is part of this, uh, whatever, then he very well may be as well. It's just more that's evidence right. that he's involved. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Maybe maybe that's part of the uh, part of the plan too, right? Uh, maybe it's uh, you know Max Mercer and Mercer uh, got together, you know, planning this rebellion, uh, and uh, Max went out on the airwaves to try and recruit people mm-hmm. that may be able to help them. And that's what, uh, what she was doing when she got in touch with, well, I happened to get in touch with Eugene and started the conversation was to, was to, re- you know, maybe it was a recruitment drive. Yeah. And you know what, Lance Hornsby and what, and his group of people, they're the official government people that once they find these groups that they want to recruit, he goes in and brings them in and that's what he's doing. So I think he's part of it, but he's working in a more official capacity. Yeah. It's just that the actual officials don't know this. I think that's probably what we have going on. Right. Which is great. I mean, you have someone in a position of power who's working for you. They're a mole in the system, you know, and, uh, but the, the real higher ups don't know this. They think he's completely trustworthy. It's the best position to be in. Could be, could be. I don't know. And I also think that Mercer's name is Mark. So we have Max and Mark Mercer. Oh, okay. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I like I was going to go with, uh, I was going to go with Marty. Marty Mercer. Well, that's Marty good. Mercer and Max Mercer. That's good. That's good as well. I don't know. But it's Mark. So Mercer is his last name. So we got Max Mercer and Mark Mercer. Right. <laughs> and their mother is Mummy Mercer. Yeah. Mummy Mercer. Yeah. And uh, maybe the dad was Marty. Marty Mercer. Okay. Yeah. Or Martin. I'd go with Martin Mercer. That's a good name. It's all good good names. Yeah. Alliteration is always a, 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 you know, a good way to name people. I agree. Stan Lee likes it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. We tried to, I mean, we didn't try very hard, but we tried to think of names when we were naming our kids that alliterated, but I don't, I couldn't find a lot of good F sounding first names. Well, you know, uh, I didn't try very hard either. But uh, we went with all J's instead of uh, going with the alliteration. Yeah. No, I understand that. That 
smart. It's also good. All right. Well, uh, what did you think of this one, Jason? It's uh, we didn't get what you thought we would get, which is the other half of the the Maggie story, or back to Maggie. We we stuck with the Commonwealth, and we got all of the Eugene stuff instead. Yeah, we did. I, I kind of liked this. This was a, a very uh, film noir kind of episode. Right? Mm-hmm. It was very, uh, you know, we had a board with red string on it. We had a uh, uh, we had a crocheted cro- crocheted afghan with uh, with sunflowers on it. Yeah, very uh, film noir. Know, yeah, feel very <laughs> film noir. Uh, very cozy. It's weird that uh, I'm going to go back to crochet here, but it's weird how a crocheted blanket is extremely warm because it's mostly holes. Right. Right. You, you know, but you put on, you, you put that on and you, you lie down on the couch and you wrap it around you and you're all snug as a bug in a rug and you're, uh, you know, out like a, I, I, last week I talked a lot about food. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week I'm talking a lot about napping. Napping's good. Yeah. Napping is good stuff. So what was I talking about? Well, film noir <laughs> and we had a, we had a yeah. mystery here. We had a central mystery that had to be investigated and solved. We had break in entries. We had a, we had a bald guy that stood up. Every time we saw him. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, we did. We had a shadow organization. We had people pretending to be other people. Uh-huh. We had we a had guy a burning. burning. That's right. Book burning in an alley, you know? So, yeah, uh, I like Self-censorship. This ep- I liked this episode much more the second time I watched it. Uh, the first one, I was a little, the first watch through, I was a little cold on it. Uh, but I got more out of it the second time, I must admit. I thought Josh McDermott was pretty good. And, you know, I think he was a little overdramatic in the final scene there where he's confronting Lance about it all. Um, But overall, I think he was pretty good. I enjoy watching Princess, you know, which is uh, took took me a little while to warm up to her, but I think she's great now. Um, So I, I liked this one. It was a little unexpected, but it was it was a good one. So. Yeah. I'm, I was happy with it after I watched it a second time. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I like a good film noir kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Not bad at all. And I like it, a little film noir in my zombie apocalypse, you know? Of course. Who doesn't really? It it gave us enough, just enough information about, to, to further the mystery kind of of what's going on here. Not a lot was resolved. You know, I mean, I guess the Max Stephanie thing is, is pretty big. But really what we want to know about is what this underground organization is doing and what the resistance is doing, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. There is our recap of season 11, episode 11 called Rogue Element. And uh, if you have any thoughts on that, send them in to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com for our feedback show coming up later this week. Now, before we end the night, of course, we have to move on to uh, our weekly prize segment here. But first, I want to thank some new patrons we have that have signed up at patreon.com slash the talking dead. We got four this week, Jason. It's very exciting. Wow. We got Zarina T, who became a patron, Amy B, Kate in San Francisco, whose last initial I don't have. And then Emily A. So thank you to you four for becoming new patrons. Very much appreciate it, along with everybody who supports us on Patreon. It really, really helps make the podcast happen. And uh, we love you all for it. 
Now, as you know, we're giving away a prize to a randomly selected patron with each new episode of The Walking Dead in Season 11. This week's prize is a really sweet Negan t-shirt. Mm. So that is pretty fun. And Jason, it is up to you, as always, to determine the prize winner. So take it away. So this one has a bit of a story to it. Oh, so unlike the, last, the other ones. <laughs> unlike the other ones. In the last couple of weeks... Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time and money on, uh, getting, getting the winners. Uh, so there was, uh, all all the cam stuff, which cost a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's lucky these people support us with a little bit of financial help on Patreon because you're just uh, blowing it all on selecting the winners. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the podcast funds for that. Uh, you know, I, I sat down and talked it over with my wife and we took out a loan. Oh. Right, like we went to the bank and said, you know what, I need to uh, really I need, need to, to spend do a lot of money yeah. on uh, naked people on the internet, right? <laughs> As you do, anyway. You do. It's not about that. Uh, and so the popcorn thing uh, from last week took a long time. It wasn't really expensive, but you know, I had to eat a lot of popcorn, and it sure. took a long time. So I was, I sat down with my wife, and we were talking about different various ideas, and she said, uh, "It's really a shame that you can't pick a winner in your sleep." So I took that as a challenge. Fair enough. So what I did was, uh, I've been wanting to rewatch MASH. Uh-huh. So what I did was, uh, I took a list of the patrons, uh, and I, I read them over, uh, over and over and over and over and over again, and I got them all memorized, right? Or I think I got them all memorized. And then what I did was, uh, every night before I would go to sleep, I would t- turn on MASH, because mm-hmm. I have all of, all, all of MASH, uh, and uh, I would just go to sleep and wait and see if a name jumped out at me in my sleep, uh, you know, as they talk about different characters coming and going and stuff. So I thought maybe one of the names would be mentioned in MASH. So uh, that's what I did. It was I basically went to sleep. And because I'm a heavy sleeper, uh, I had to turn it up really loud. <laughs> so everybody had to listen to MASH in my household. And uh, probably your neighbors. <laughs> neighbors, whatever, because I needed to needed it to get through to my subconscious. Uh-huh. So, it, and it worked. I'm, I'm glad to tell you, and I'm happy to report that eventually it did work. That's amazing. Uh, finally, I don't know if this was the first time a name was uh, from the patron list was mentioned on the show, but this is the first time it actually rattled into my consciousness uh, through watching MASH in my sleep. Okay. Uh, and it's actually episode, uh, sorry, season 10, episode two. Wow. So uh, it's the 220th episode of that particular show that it finally came in. And each episode is about 22 minutes. So that uh, rattles in at about 80 hours. Whoa. So uh, it was a long time. So, so I actually started this a while ago. Multiple nights. Yeah. Multiple nights, every night, uh, you know, having a mash. So finally in this episode uh, called Identity Crisis, uh, they finally mentioned the uh the name Mike. So okay. it was it's Mike K mm-hmm. that has uh that is our winner for this week, uh, which has uh come to me from watching MASH. If you want to watch that particular episode, it's season ten, episode two, at about the seven minute mark. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So uh <laughs> you know, that's the winner, Mike K. That's amazing. So you watched uh, dozens of hours of mash in your sleep and the name Mike K came to you from that episode. That's incredible. Well, you know, I'm, I've been having really crappy sleep lately. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you know, watching mash all night long every night, yep. uh, doesn't help. 
but uh, it doesn't hurt either. Really. But it helps Mike K because he's the winner. He's the winner. Uh, so, you know, I think I was awake. You know, I, I'd wake up and I'd listen to a little bit and I'd fall back to sleep for about 10, 15 minutes. And then I'd wake up a little bit more. Okay. And I'd listen to a little bit more and then I'd fall back to sleep. So it was, you know, it came and go, came and went. But uh, eventually Mike K or Mike was, uh, was mentioned. So All right. That's, that's the winner. Congratulations, Mike K. I will be in touch by email in the next few days. And we'll sort out getting that prize out to you. So congratulations. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Jason, you're, you're really putting yourself through the ringer to pull, to pull these winners. It's going to kill me. It's going to, it's going to bankrupt me. Uh, it's going to uh, ruin my diet, ruin my sleep, but, uh, I'm committed. I'm committed to, yep. uh, uh, you know, if I can help someone win a t-shirt, a Negan t-shirt, uh, you know, I'm going to put it, in the effort. It's worth it, man. We, we, these are the best listeners in the world and they absolutely deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So thank you to everyone who's a patron and uh, Mike K, you were the winner this year. I'll, uh, this episode, Whoa. I will be in touch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to become a patron, do so at patreon.com slash the talking dead and you will be included in future draws. If you can call them that for a prize as we move through the rest of season 11. All righty. That is going to bring us to the end of this podcast, everyone. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do that by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com, clicking on send voicemail at the top and recording a message for us. It's a fantastic way to get in touch. You can also just record messages on your phone and then email them to us or just send regular old text-based emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Your thoughts, your comments your questions your whatever about the episode and we will include as much of that as we can on our feedback episode which is coming up later this week you can also find us on twitter at talking dead so uh do that if you're a twitter type of person all right that is going to do it for us for tonight everyone until next time my name is chris my name is jason thanks for listening ciao